Joining us now is Henry J. Aaron. Currently, he is the Bruce M. Virginia McClory Senior Fellow in the Economic Studies Program at the Brookings Institution. And from 1990 through 96, he was the Director of the Economic Studies Program. He is a noted healthcare expert, and he focuses on the reform of healthcare financing, public systems such as Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and tax and budget policy. Initially, he joined the Brookings staff in 1968, and from 67 until 89, he also taught at the University of Maryland. Uh, he wrote a, a great piece, he's written many, uh, regarding the health reform war, because it really is not just a, a, a fight over Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act and health care, but technically health reform. Uh, more than a pleasure to have Henry J. Aaron joining us in the first half of this hour. Henry, good afternoon and welcome. Good afternoon. Glad to be with you. Uh, this is, many people would say, and you write in your title, Ordinary politics, right? I mean, uh, you know, the continuation is of, of this health reform uh, war um, by the right, quite frankly. Um, and it, it, let's talk about this. Is this just a personal thing and an attack on legislation uh, that, you know, has the president's name? Or us, does this go deeper and beyond that to an all-out war on the reformation of health care and uh, not just the care, the medical aspect of it, but certainly the financial aspect? Well, I chose the title because there has been uh, a war against the particular piece of legislation, the Affordable Care Act. But I think uh, you're making an important point, which is that there are genuine philosophical differences that divide the two parties. They've been playing out over a long time, over a broad range of social policy. And the Affordable Care Act is only the latest occasion for uh, this battle. I chose the title uh, because I think, uh, I hope, let me put it that way, I hope we're entering a period when the two parties will once again start to talk to each other and try to improve uh, a law that has been in effect now for five years and that is going to certainly be in effect for at least another two years as long as President Obama is in office. Uh, and try and make it work a little better and perhaps uh, make some improvements that both parties uh, could feel move the law in a direction uh, that they want to see it moved. There have been, you know, obviously, um, and as you write about in your great piece, that the Republicans for the past six years have been waging a total war against this legislation, and they used delay tactics before it passed. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, they, you know, opposed it unanimously, you know, when there was a vote, uh, when it did become law, they have used numerous obstructionist tactics. There have been uh, lawsuits, uh, and there certainly have been uh, votes to repeal and replace again and again and again. And and then they continue to do this against, quite frankly, the will of the American people, if you believe the polls that show Americans want it tweaked, want something changes, maybe, you know, uh, ha you know, almost like an ingredients, add a little salt, take out a little bit of pepper, but they don't want it repealed. They don't want it replaced. And they certainly don't seem to want uh, their time and taxpayer money spent on this um, again and again and again. I mean, this is to the point of ad nauseum that the uh, Republicans continue uh, to fight to repeatedly uh, to uh, repeal this law, whether it's in whole or in part. Well, you know, this piece that uh, I wrote for the Brookings uh, blog, it's a new uh, release of the Brookings Institution, appeared on the same day and alongside a companion piece written by my colleague and office mate right next door, Stuart Butler, uh, who worked for a long time at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he's a conservative, I'm a liberal, uh, but we've worked together in the past. 
And as it happened, uh, we approached the same subject in slightly different ways. Uh, I said that I hoped that there would be compromise legislation. He wrote a piece addressed primarily to fellow Republicans saying, look, um, you can keep on fighting this bill. Uh, You're not likely to win complete repeal. Let's adopt a different strategy, he suggested. Let's try and make changes in the law that would make it work in a way more to our liking. And Stewart's suggestion uh, was that uh, legislation should give the states authority to nudge uh, the law, to administer it in slightly different ways within their own borders, uh, which is something that... uh, Many conservatives have been pushing with respect to a great deal of legislation for a long time. I suggested that there were some changes that, specific changes, uh, that uh, in the law that Democrats could accept and that Republicans would would regard as an improvement, um, and that there were some that Democrats wanted that in the end Republicans could accept, and so both could end up signing a bill that gave them each Uh, something that they've been seeking. Uh, So, you know, uh, Stuart and I don't agree on an awful lot of stuff, uh, but uh, in this area, uh, we thought that uh, there is room for doing business. Uh, We've had uh, what most Americans, I think, are pretty tired of, which is relentless uh, political backbiting going on for a long time. There are millions of people who are being covered by the uh, health reform legislation. It isn't a perfect bill by any means, uh, and there are some real problems that need to be addressed so that it's time to knuckle down and get on with the business. Medicare and Social Security have been tweaked numerous times over the decades. Yes, I mean, right, when you have a piece of legislation this size, I think, you know, it's normal. And, you know, not to, to me, if one person was covered, it was the right thing to do. That wasn't before. Um, but when, you know, you, you talk about in your piece, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, uh, that this repeated commitment by Republicans, if they continue, as it seems they have this commitment to do, uh, to do this for the next two years, you talk about such an effort not succeeding. And, and, and I agree. I mean, one, they hold 54 seats. There's little chance they can muster the 60 votes to force a Senate vote on repeal. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, the president's going to veto it. They don't have um, enough votes, that two-thirds, to override a presidential veto. So why do it? After once, twice, God, this many times, it's beyond symbolic. Um, it, 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 quite frankly, could cost them future seats in the you know future elections. Because when you look at the past few election cycles, uh, Americans as voters have become more and more fickle. And uh, at least in present day, after two years, they are voting the bums out. They are changing the control of power from Republican to Democrat, Democrat to Republican. And it could happen once again two years from now in 2016. Um, Republicans know this. The presidential elections are different from midterm elections. Um, we're electing as a nation a person to lead us. Both parties desperately want to control the White House starting in 2017, Democrats to continue, Republicans to take it over. Uh, I think there's a good deal of evidence that Americans would like to have a party uh, uh, controlling the White House that's able to get something done. Uh, there's no doubt that the Republican strategy of opposing uh, uh, the health reform legislation uh, has 
served them well uh, up till now in uh, the midterm election. It didn't help them uh, defeat President Obama for re-election, but it probably did help them in 2010 gain a lot of seats and gain some more in 2014. But a presidential election is coming up, and uh, there are a lot of political analysts who believe, and I agree with them, that the public is going to be looking to the party that they think can actually do something affirmative of which they approve. Now, there is a philosophical disagreement about uh, the direction in which health reform legislation should go. Uh, And there's disagreement about how much government regulation there should be in this area, and so on. But I think uh, in this case, um, my own view, and I think Stewart's view as a Republican, uh, his view is that the best chance that the Republicans have of making progress in 2016 is not to just say no, but to actually uh, bring about some legislative change that uh, the constituents to whom they're appealing uh, could resonate. Uh, and so whatever strategy may whatever the strategy may have been done up until done for them up until now there's a new ball game now that they control both houses of congress and at the same time there are aspects of the affordable care act uh, that could be improved and the democrats would like to have operating better so there's a deal here uh, to be made I think whether it gets made is going to depend on uh, which of the personalities within the Republican Party uh, emerge uh, as uh, in control. Uh, There are, as within both parties, groups that want to be ideologically pure, and there is a group uh, that wants to get things done. Uh, In the past, the we want to get things done wings really did control both parties. Uh, Increasingly in recent years, uh, within the Republican Party, ideological purity has has had a stronger position. And there's a war going on within the Republican Party right now, uh, the outcome of which is of, in my view, and I'm speaking now as a Democrat, in my view, uh, the outcome of the battle that's going on with the, in the Republican Party is the most important uh, political uh, development, will be the most important political development affecting the well-being of this country, uh, because we are currently not succeeding in dealing with a wide range of problems that need attention uh, because of ideological disagreements. And what we need now, I believe, is the return of the uh, let's cut a deal, let's make things a little better, even if we don't, by our own lights, make them perfect, uh, groups within both parties. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with our first guest in this first half of the hour. Henry, hang tight. Back to you in a moment. Henry J. Aaron, who is currently the Bruce and Virginia McLaurie Senior Fellow in the Economic Studies Program at the Brookings Institute. Uh, Be sure to check out the website, brookings.edu forward slash experts forward slash Aaron H. And the email is hAaron, that's A-A-R-O-N, at brookings.edu. We're back with Henry J. Aaron, Bruce and Virginia McCauley Senior Fellow in the Economic Studies Program at the Brookings Institution. And like I said, his email is 
hharon at brookings.edu. Henry, thank you uh, for um, holding and welcome back. Uh, Let's talk more about this and your piece. You feel, and I agree with you, it's very risky for Republicans to continue down this course, one. And two, the big uh, area that Americans seem to agree on in their disagreement of this legislation is with the mandate, correct? Uh, yes, they do disagree with. Well, actually, there are a bunch of mandates in the um, in the law. One affects individuals. Uh, that is the single most unpopular aspect of the law. It also happens to be absolutely central to its operation. The reason it's central to the operation is that it's tied up inextricably with two other provisions that uh, are themselves very popular. One of those provisions is that insurance companies can't refuse to sell you insurance, can't uh, charge excessively varying prices, can't use your previous health status uh, as a basis for varying those prices. Well, if you do that, there's a temptation for people to come in and buy insurance only when they're sick. And... uh, there, if you want to provide people with financial assistance, uh, that's pretty much essential uh, to help the people with low incomes buy insurance uh, if there is a requirement that they carry it, uh, which you need to do in order to make sure that the insurance companies uh, don't engage in these practices that most people find objectionable. Incidentally, most Republicans and Democrats find objectionable. So uh, the individual mandate is not something that you can readily get along without. But there's another mandate in the bill. It's one that employers are required to offer insurance. Uh, to most employees, but only it, it, they're required to offer to employees who work more than 30 hours a week. Well, uh, Republicans have been attacking that provision uh, with some justification, uh, because if you're working 29 hours a week, part-time for a company, and they're thinking about, the company is thinking about asking you to work more, uh, they incur a big expense as soon as you cross that 30-hour limit. They have to offer you insurance. And so there's been some concern that that provision uh, might have some effect on employment. There's not much evidence, in fact, that so far it has done so, but uh, it doesn't look terribly good. And so many uh, conservatives have been arguing that we ought to get rid of that provision. Uh, It was there for a reason. It's uh, to keep employers in the insurance game, and uh, I don't think uh, supporters of the Affordable Care Act want to get rid of it. But the fact of the matter is most employers offer insurance to their employees for other reasons, not because they're forced to do so, but because it's a good deal for them and for their employees, uh, for them to buy insurance rather than having the uh, employee buy it themselves. So most employers are going to continue to offer insurance whether that mandate is there or not, and although supporters of the law uh, don't want to get rid of it, they probably could live with it. So there's an area where there's something that critics of the law would like to see changed that supporters of the law can say, okay, we'll give you that if you'll give us something that is important to us. Absolutely. I have to say, Henry, one of the things I like about um, your your piece and uh, that you talked about today is that you come up with what politicians don't, which is 
an alternative, <laughs> a solution to certain problems. So thank you. Henry J. Aaron, thank you for being with us. Bruce My and pleasure. Virginia McCauley, Senior Fellow in the Economic Studies Program at the Brookings Institution. Uh, check out the website for the Brookings Institution, brookings.edu, and for uh, Henry's writings, forward slash experts, forward slash Aaron H., and his email, Aaron A-A-R-O-N, at brookings.edu. Your toes in the sand, an ice-cold drink in your hand. Waves lapping on the shore as palm trees sway in the tropical breeze. Sound like paradise? This is winter, St. Pete Clearwater style, with 35 miles of white sand bliss and warm gulf waters. Paradise is closer than you think. Visit awardwinningbeaches.com to plan your perfect getaway to St. Pete Clearwater. Voted the best beach in America by TripAdvisor. Want to know the coolest thing about St. Pete Clearwater? We'll give you a hint. It's not the beach. It's Central Ave. This is St. Pete at its funkiest, foodiest, and most fun. It's where street art meets sidewalk cafes and one-of-a-kind boutiques, where everyone is welcome, even dogs, and where the coolest craft breweries meet the city's hottest nightlife. So think outside the beach. Get to know St. Pete's coolest street and experience centralave.com.